Two women are road tripping through Europe, sharing laughs, stories, and adventures as they wind through narrow back roads. They've been dear friends forever, celebrated together, supported, and consoled each other. Both have faced obstacles and persevered and broken through barriers in a traditionally male industry. And now they are as acclaimed and respected in their roles as anyone. Riding shotgun in their little rental car is Doris Burke, the first female analyst for NBA games and first to call men's NCAA tournament games. For years, Doris also covered the women's championships and WNBA. Behind the wheel is Holly Rowe, my colleague on primetime college football broadcasts, the national championship game, and Heisman Trophy show. When she's not working Utah Jazz games or the WNBA, Holly has covered just about everything in college sports over the last 30 years. So today I've got Doris Burke and Holly Rowe together, and this is one of the most enjoyable conversations in our five seasons, a window into their friendship and achievements. It's like sitting in the back seat on one of their road trips. Well, Doris and Holly, I am so pleased to have us merged together on this call, two broadcast icons who are not only massively respected by the people they cover, who are the highest achievers, most successful people in sports, but also beloved by them, which is a difficult thing and a different thing. So what's that like, uh, Holly, to be beloved by the people that you cover? (laughs) (laughs) Because I don't know that. (laughs) You don't know that feeling? Um, I don't know that I'm beloved. I think people are very kind, and I think I've been doing it a long time. I think I learned uh, someone said something really sweet to me when I was going through my battle with cancer that um, you've been coming into our living rooms. You've been a guest in our home for over 20 years. So of course we love you. So I thought that was a sweet way to say it is we're a guest in people's homes. Um, so I think that's part of it. But then I think you do garner respect. I always would feel so secretly pleased every time Doris was doing, you know, the post game championship NBA finals and LeBron's like, you know, well, Doris, you know, the highest of the high love and respect her. And that always made me feel so proud. So I think it's just a lot of hard work and um, being good at your job where people respect your work ethic, but also having a good way about you. Chris, can I can I tell a story that will document exactly how beloved Holly Rowe is? This is going back a ways, but Gail Gestoncourt at the time was the head coach at uh, Duke. And she has been to multiple Final Fours. She's experiencing all kinds of success. And you know how it goes. You guys go to football practice. We go to basketball practice. I'll I'll never forget this. The three of us are standing at midcourt. And Holly's not new to women's basketball because she had covered the WNBA. She covered, but new to like covering the Final Four. And Gail is going to be in the Final Four. This, you know, this is happening. And I don't remember what month it is, but I remember distinctly Holly looking Gail Gestoncourt directly in the eye and saying to her, now, Gail, have you always been a control freak? <laughs> and Gail's, you see the color drain from it. I, I don't know which way to run. And all of a sudden, just the three of us burst out laughing. I have witnessed so many times over the years, Chris, the the love and respect that people have for not only Holly's work habits, but her passion for both the sports that she covers and the individual stories um, that she covers. And I think people can feel that. And I think they really appreciate that about Holly. Well, they appreciate that about you too, Doris. That's kind of you to say that about your friend. But I mean, whether it is LeBron or Popovich or Kobe, the legends of coaching, the the highest basketball minds out there, they respect you. That's hard one. We'll get into that for both of you. But also the affection, whether it's Drake or anybody else. I mean, big stars, not just athletes and coaches. I mean, that has to feel pretty darn good. Yeah, you know, um, Chris, I remember saying this before. Holly and I were both established in our careers prior to the advent of social media. And it hasn't always been the case that, you know, this, there's been this feeling toward me. There was a long stretch of time where because I was an analyst on men's college and the NBA, there was this sentiment coming at me about who is she to say that? She's never played or coached these sports. Obviously, I coached women's basketball, played women's basketball. Um, And I've said this many times to the players and the coaches because they have been my soft landing spot, Chris. And and I've said this and I said it to Drake. 
um, when I finally met him after he, he put that uh, picture on his shirt, you know, I said, I really appreciate that you expressed in your own way, respect for my work. When you hear something that's foreign to your ear, what's your first response? We all pull back when something's different. We don't know what this is, what to expect. And when I started, it was unusual, where now it's, it's commonplace. Do you like how she just dropped that in there? Like, you know, when I was talking to Drake, like it's just such a normal. <laughs> Women crush every day, by the way, with a big face of Doris Burke. I, I'm surprised you haven't come out with your line of merchandise there with your face on Doris. <laughs> I, I do want to tell you one funny story. So I want to give my son, McKylan, who um, he is the one person in the world that adores Doris more than maybe her own children. So my son has been visiting Miss Burke since she, he was 15 years old. And he wore this Drake shirt, or he did a post on social media, coming into Doris Burke's house for Thanksgiving, like, and, and he tagged <laughs> Drake. And the very next week, Drake posted about Doris. So I, I just want McKylan to get a little credit, Doris. I just think he opened the, the Drake floodgates a little bit. I mean, you guys, I, you know, not exactly overnight successes, racing around the bases to universal applause and acclaim. I mean, it, it, has been, um, it has been a struggle. Doris talked about it. Holly, you come into a, a variety of sports, but college football might be one of the most, I don't know, macho, masculine, testosterone-driven sports there is, right? And it's a sport not widely played by women. So you can understand if some neanderthal mindsets are carrying the day early on, but, but talk about just going into to this sport and, and having to win respect and show you know what you're talking about. Yeah, I had a couple of funny incidents early in my career, and um, this, I'll tell this story about this coach, but I don't want him to be disparaged. I remember my first feeling of I'm the woman in the meeting room was with an old defensive coordinator at Mississippi State named Jolie Dunn. And I asked a question based on a quote I had read from him. And he kind of looked up like, what? And, and then he answered to Rodney Gilmore. And he wouldn't even look at me. I could just tell he was so uncomfortable for me to be in the room and talking. And he would look away and, and answer someone else. So fast forward 20 years. And, you know, Joe Lee Dunn and I are fast friends. And, and every stop he's been at, he comes and chats with me. And we talk about his extensive video collection and his family and, his, you know, him helping to create the, the unique defense with five defensive backs. Um, so I feel like that those are the types of stories where they go in feeling like, who's this? But you earn your way by being good at your job. I've asked plenty of dumb questions, but I think people know my desire. And I think they start to learn. I'm obsessed with college football. Like if I wasn't a woman, I, I would probably be at the highest level of being an analyst. I, no one has watched more college football other than maybe you and Kirk Herbstreet in my lifetime. I, I can talk to you about Lavelle Edwards, um, all of the coaches that started that offense that then became the air raid offense and how that happened with Don Coriel and then Mike Leach stole the BYU passing routes. I know how the zone read was invented. You know, like I, I know all this, this information because I've lived college football for 40 years now at the very most intense scrutiny level. So um, I, I feel like I've just earned it by people understand I'm obsessed with football and I can speak their language. Chris, yeah, I, we get to ask a trivia question every week uh, in the booth and Kirk and I were stumped. Holly knew the answer in the field. I wish you just buzzed in from the field because you could have <laughs> saved our team to answer Chris Felica's trivia question right. Doris? You know, there are just certain uh, moments as a viewer, particularly a woman viewer, where it's really poignant. And for me, the moments where I see Holly Rowe, say, interview Nick Saban or Dabo, and it may be a tough moment, and yet they stop, they take the time, and they respectfully answer questions that sometimes aren't easy to answer or are uncomfortable. And, uh, you know, I'll go back to another moment, and, and there's some women in the business who are on a text chain, Jess Mendoza, Holly, Beth Mullins. The first time Beth Mullins called Monday Night Football, I remember this distinctly, I am in my home in Rhode Island and tears are streaming down my face because you couldn't be more right, Chris. Football to me, whether it's college football or the NFL, are two most popular sports in this country. When women achieve a, a measure of success in those particular fields of endeavor, it is so powerful to me. Um, and it's just, you know, it's just, for me, it's beautiful and it's fun. And it's like, oh my goodness, where is that next generation of women going to take us? Because you know what? 
what I admire about this next generation, Holly and I have spent our career, and I kid you not, we talk about this all the time. We have spent our career thinking every year, this is our last contract. They're not gonna give us another one. We're done, this is my last gig. And these next generation of women just know they belong. Um, there's no, I don't know. I, I don't know whether, like, not that they don't face challenges, but there's a level of confidence to me that I just love about the, the women coming, coming that are a little younger than us. I definitely want to circle back to that and the legacy that both you guys will leave and the impact that you've had. Longevity is interesting. You know, I don't think, because you've both been asked about that, but longevity in this business doesn't happen, in my opinion, unless you just love the process. It can't just be about when the light's on, the games are going on, and both you guys just devour the process. Practices, you talked about that, Holly, the meetings, the reading, watching tape. People don't know what goes into it, but I don't think if you don't embrace that part of it, we're not sitting here talking about decades of a career, right? Yeah, you have to love it. And, and you know, I've had an interesting experience with Doris. We went to the London Olympics together in 2012 as fans, and it was so fun because we went to almost all the basketball. We went to Team USA. That was the was that the Redeem team, Doris, with LeBron and Kobe? I think that's the one they were just doing the documentary about, right? I think so. I remember us seeing LeBron on the subway platform in London. Remember that? And fans yeah. were just mobbing him. Yeah. And we were like, what's up, man? Hi. But um, <laughs> the, I, you know, I just think that the, um, we were sitting there watching games and Doris just loses herself in the basketball. And it's like, my friend's gone. She's not there. She is so into basketball. And I keep, I, I just never forget that. That's her happy place. And it's the same way with football or Chris, I know for you for tennis of like, I get so lost in the action. I've seen my friend get so lost in the action that I know that's her happy place. That's my happy place. So it's the thing I'm most proud of in my career, to be perfectly honest with you, Chris, is the longevity. Um, you know, I started in a very small way when I left coaching in 1990. And I often joke, like one of my biggest breaks is doing the WNBA on radio for the New York Liberty. There wasn't a person listening, not one. <laughs> Come on. But um, yeah, I love the process because the travel, you know, being alone in the hotels and dinners on the rush and this and that, if you don't love it, you're not going to last um, because you're away from your family. I have two children. Um, I now have a grandson, like Christmas day will remain hard. Christmas Eve, I just booked my flight to Boston. Um, so there are challenges, but it is, it's the love of the sports that you cover and the people you cover. I mean, think about it. Think about some of the college football games Holly Rowe has, has had the opportunity to cover really national championships, Alabama's run, you know, so many different things. We are really as much as I just talked about some of the hard things, I think we both know how incredibly lucky we are to do what we do every day. Yeah, Doris, you Chris. took it the next place I wanted to go, Holly, which was the championship moments. And, and that's why we love what we do. And you guys have both had extraordinary opportunities and done tremendous jobs at, at being the first to speak to someone who has won a championship, who's realized a dream, has having a life moment, and it's still very fresh. And there you are with the microphone, capturing it and navigating through it, whether it's a, a trophy presentation in the NBA or, or, or on, on the field at a college football championship or a, or a women's college world series or WNBA. Talk about that, just being right there and, and, and feeling the energy sort of at the, the end of a championship arc. It's precious, right? Like we have the best seat in the house to a very precious moment that will last in time forever. I remember interviewing Stetson Bennett after the Georgia uh, national championship game last year and, and his emotion and he had been sobbing on the sidelines and just um, interviewing that young man. I remember interviewing Hunter Renfro from Clemson after he catches the touchdown pass with one second left to upset Alabama you know, before it was even imaginable that Clemson could upset Alabama. And um, one of my favorite post-game moments ever, and I, I think if people really studied this as journalists, my favorite moment I've ever seen was when LeBron had made the decision to go to Miami and all of the scrutiny that came for that. And Doris interviewed him post-game. And it will, to me, be the single best question that's ever been asked any post-game ever, because in in two Two words, you know, two sentences. Doris wraps up leaving Cleveland, making the decision, 
vindication to win a championship with Miami in this one post-game question, and I think it will go down as the best question ever asked in sports history. Do you remember that question, Doris? I don't. I don't. I mean, I remember all of my interviews with LeBron because they've been so pivotal, Holly. I'll never forget. Chris, you know we're supposed to be impartial, unbiased observers, and we are. But at the same time, we are not emo uh, emotionless human beings. And this is not the question Holly's talking about, but when, um, when LeBron went back to Cleveland and won the title, if you remember distinctly, as soon as the buzzer sounded, he had this well of emotion, he started to cry. And see, Holly picked up on this, Mike Green's stat guy, Dave Free picked up on this, but very few people picked up on it. You know, you have to remember, I have children right in the window of these NBA players in terms of their age. And so it's interesting for me because sometimes I view it through the prism of my 28-year-old son. You know, it's weird because he's not, a, you know, he's, he's in golf as his profession, but whatever. But, but I remember watching LeBron cry, Chris. And Holly, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. I would assume it is because you are a caring, emotional person. But like, Chris, when LeBron cried and he's shuddering and he's down on his knees, I got choked up. Like I can feel the water in my eyes and I'm thinking, oh my God, pull yourself together. You got to ask questions and you could hear my voice crack in whatever question I asked. And Dave Freed was the first person to said it. Mike Greenstack guy said, were you crying? I said, I didn't cry. That's, there's no crying in basketball, <laughs> but I was. And it was really just about this man, this meant so much to him. All of us know, anybody who covers sports, there is injury, there is sadness there's joy there's collective spirit moving toward this ultimate goal but you pay a heavy price to get there and sometimes that bears down on you in the, in the midst of that holly have you ever had that happen where you you've gotten caught up in the emotion oh my gosh yeah and i'm not always proud of it because you're you're right we're trying to be unbiased journalists but i i am you know me i'm a softy and i've had it happen a couple of times where um i can remember pat summit had died and Candace Parker, her beloved player for the Tennessee Vols, was playing in a WNBA game that night, has a tough comeback win. And I interview Candace in the postgame, and she just breaks down sobbing. Um, you know, that was for Pat. That was for Pat. And that, that got to me because Pat Summit had just died that day. And that one was really tough. And I don't I think Bird you're human. If, if you're not feeling that, I mean, yes. we, we do this because we like human beings. I mean, you, you like the competition and the strain. And we all like the collective joy, but I mean, the, the other side of it, I'm talking about an old softy, I, I find myself being upset for the losers, the people on the other end of this. They're not holding the trophy. They've had their dreams crushed, and it's, it's, it's also fresh in the moment. And whether it's in tennis, and, and, yeah, and you've seen, I've covered Serena Williams' great moments. I've covered some heartbreaking moments. Same thing for Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal. And you, you have a feeling for these people because like LeBron, you've seen a lot of their arc. You've seen them kind of grow up and mature. And man, I don't know. I, yeah, I've had to try to hold it together, not just for the joy, but just the, the pain on the other side of it when they, they come short of their dream. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're human, right? Yeah. When Sue Bird just retired, I really struggled. If you know me well and you go back and listen to our interview, you can hear my voice. I am struggling to interview her because I'm, I turned to look at Sue and she has a tear coming down her face and she's like, this is really sad. And I just, I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't in London when Roger Federer just retired because he's crying. The doll's crying. Everybody's crying. I don't think I would have been able to keep it together. So I'm, I'm kind of relieved I didn't have that assignment in some way. <laughs> You know, uh, the, the love of sports can, can be passed down by generations. It can skip a generation. My parents didn't know or care about sports at all. My grandmother was the one who got me into it. I owe my career to her love and passion for sports. So you guys have referenced being moms. I wonder, do your kids share your passion for sports? Do you talk sports with them? Or is it like, oh, mom, that's just mom's work. <laughs> we're 0 for 3. We're 0 for 3 in that category. Her two children and my son, no. Really? Not that there's anything wrong with that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. My son's an actor into theater. Her daughter Sarah's into theater, is an attorney. Her son Matthew's into golf. Like, we're 0 for 3 and it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> really, Doris, you, you ever want to talk about Nicole Jokic and the inverted pick and roll and there's just nobody talking about it? <laughs> 
So, so uh, my daughter, we joke all the time with her husband. She's like, pick and roll this, pick and roll that. And we like, what's the pick and roll? My son is um, a little more into it, you know, so he'll, he might, it's, but it's the treetop storylines, you know, that are being discussed on every talk show. Um, and that's the direction he and I will go, but it's so funny. Yeah. Holly, it's, you know, I, I, I keep saying to my daughter who just had her first baby, I'm like, you can expect one thing or another, but life is going to take you where it's going to take you and there's no predicting it. So be prepared. Well, maybe as a grandmother, you can get that, that young child into sports the way mine did and give, give the great gift of understanding the passion and the joy of, of this profession. <laughs> oh, I, I literally cannot wait. Uh, I, 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 can, I have a baseball glove. I can catch. I can rebound with the best of them. Whatever Harrison <laughs> wants to do, Chris, I am there for him. Well, we're having this conversation because Holly and I had a dinner recently in Columbus, a nice Friday night dinner, which doesn't happen often enough. And we were start talking about traveling. And Holly just mentioned that the, the two of you travel together, Holly. And I, I don't know whether it was a Thelma and Louise, which is a reference that only people of a certain age will understand. I'm imagining these two badass women road tripping around Europe. But tell, tell me, Holly, a travel story of you two guys, uh, you know, away from sports and just enjoying what the world has to offer. Yeah, we started traveling together about 10 years ago and we've had some really good um, journeys. I, I would say I have two really great, I mean, I have a lot of great memories and this is kind of a fun thing because Doris keeps a journal everywhere we go. So she, we'll get to a new location and she'll buy a little notebook. And so she has documented our meals, our tours, our you know, we've gone on a moped through Chianti and had a wine tour and then cooked at the end. Um, we've, we've gone, um, I'm trying to think of all the dramatic ones. We've gone to Normandy together. I think that was maybe one of our most powerful trips, Doris, if you would agree with that. I think that was maybe one of our most powerful moments is uh, walking up the hill in Normandy and just weeping at the cemetery. I thought that was a special moment. I remember a roundabout in Paris where we were trying to, I was driving. I, I have made the mistake of driving on many of these trips. And um, I remember us trying to get off that big famous roundabout in Paris. And it took us like 10 times. We're about ready to throw up because I can't merge over in the lane and we're going around this roundabout and it's getting scary. And I'm like, help, help. And then there was the time that I was driving in Portofino down these you know, back and forth Italian cliffs. Uh, well, I was putting on you I this story, Chris Fowler, because she's not going to do it justice. <laughs> I, I, we were coming back from Provence. Holly wanted to see the lavender field. I, I can't even, but I think you're right. It's a windy road. And obviously, you know, the, the speedometer is in kilometers. And all I know is that sucker is tilted far right, Chris Fowler. And any <laughs> knows Holly Rowe knows how much mascara she puts on. She's got the thing full tilt to the right. And my girl is looking in the rear view mirror, putting on mascara. And I am losing my damn mind. I want to put the mascara tube down and drive. I could not believe what she was doing. I'll be damned if she didn't do it, Chris. Putting it on, going down the road. She's out of her mind. Holly? I, she was right to correct me in that moment. I was inappropriate. And so she has a certain tone in her voice that when she uses it, it scares me. And I knew in that moment I was in trouble. Um, but we've had some really great trips. I mean, we've gone to Capri. We've gone to Portofino, uh, Positano, mm. like London, Como. Lake Como. Oh, my gosh. Venice. Our, our walking wine tour in Venice was one of my favorite you know we went to the local places and had grappa and that was blast um my other favorite place we've gone doris was mont saint michel off the coast I of france it. so great where it's this island out the, off the coast of france that when the tide comes in you can't you couldn't access the island and when the tide goes out there is a walking road that you can walk out to the island and now they drive out to the island and we stayed on that island mont saint michel and that was one of the cooler nights I think we've ever had, Doris. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. And what, what amazed me about that experience is we're sitting, we're, we're sort of on a ledge in this medieval type village. So it's stone walls everywhere. And we're out looking at the water. And we had been warned, you know, don't be on the flats there when the water comes in. Chris, 
that water moves so fast that if you were not on dry land in a safe space at the speed at which that water came into Mont Saint Michel, and it's so funny because Mike Green, obviously, you know, the great voice of the NBA Finals, um, is is likes to travel, and and he had always tried or wanted to go to Mont Saint Michel and couldn't believe we found a room there. Holly, I don't know how you did that. And then you mentioned Normandy, Chris. Um, for anybody that that enjoys history. Um, you know, you hear all these stories about D-Day. We commemorated it every year. Um, when you see the topography there, when you are actually standing on the beach and then you try to navigate your way up, you understand um, wh what exactly happened on that particular day. And you marvel at the resolve of the allies and their desire to, to to conquer not only the topography, but to absorb the masses, massive losses that they did and continue on the journey to try to rescue you know, the world. It really, and then after you've seen the topography, you then go to the, uh, to the space that they have set aside for the fallen soldiers. And you know, it's, it is dead quiet. Like it is so silent and respectful and somehow beautiful in this space. Um, I would encourage anyone who has the opportunity to go and to, to do that. It is one of the most memorable things I've ever experienced. Yeah, that's perfectly said. Covering the French Open, I've gone to Normandy a couple of times. And when you step away from the world of seeing a tennis ball smacked around a clay court and being absorbed in that silliness for a couple of weeks, and you you go to that, that place and, I think that's the beauty and power of travel, though. You you have your spirit reawakened. You understand perspective. You learn so much. And I'm envious of all these trips you guys have taken. I mean, I, you, you clicked off some really beautiful spots around Europe. And I'm curious because you guys are both such, you know, tremendous preparers and planners. I imagine you're so organized, Holly. Is, is every second of these trips choreographed and planned out to a T? Or do you like to get away from that world and just kind of wing it when you guys travel together? So we've done it both ways. We Early in our travels together, we made the mistake of over planning and hitting too many stops. And I, I can remember see that. vividly- I could see that with you too. <laughs> yes, I remember two times vividly Doris being like, all right, sister, I'm done with this. What the hell are you doing to me right now? Cinque Terre, she was like, we were on a train. I remember in Cinque Terre and her just being like, I've seen enough, stop it. And then I learned from that, that we, we hit too many spots, you know, in one trip. And so we've learned, so this last, uh, uh, a summer ago, we went to Greece and we only hit two spots. So we've learned as we've traveled. So we only did Athens and Santorini and we kind of stayed put. But we did it in a fun way. Why I like really traveling with Doris is one, we laugh our ass off. I mean, we laugh and laugh and laugh. Um, but two, she's interested in the world. And so like, I would give her an assignment. Hey, we're going to Herculaneum. You're in charge of researching Herculaneum or I'm in charge of researching Normandy, you know, so that, that while someone's driving or while the person's going, you're, you're reading to me or talking to me about what we're going to see, where we're going to go. So we tag team it, which I've had found very fun and interesting. Like she'll say, all right, you're in charge of three, these two nights for dinner in, in Ia on Santorini. And so I find us a place there or the other two nights, she's got us a wine tour. And so we really tag team it. It's awesome. Um, she doc, she journals everything. So I, one day we'll, we, we need to publish these journals, Doris, because we we've, we've had some interesting experiences but then the other cool thing we've done over the years that I thought was a good idea for travelers is when we start the trip, we'll put like 2000 euros in my fanny pack. And so we're not arguing over who's paying for dinner or who's paying for this taxi. We pool our, our funds and then I just pay for everything out of the fanny. Like we figured out some cool buddy system travel tips. Um, maybe in our old age doors, we'll have a show, a travel show. All right, right, or I, I'd watch that show. Come on, do you guys talk sports at all, or are sports totally off limits, or is TV totally off limits? Is that not part of the vacations? We talk about everything, <laughs> everything, men, um, sports. I mean, it's fun. Doris says this all the time that you know you can count on one hand the people you can truly trust in the TV business. And I think that we trust each other. So we do talk a lot about work and navigating our workplace and, hey, this happened to me. What do you think? 
Uh, there's been many a late night I call her, this happened, what should I do? Um, she'll say, you can't say that, stop it. You know, she's taken me off a couple of ledges in my life. Um, but we talk about everything. Should you know, I it's tell interesting. you the Luxembourg Garden story, Doris? Oh my God, that was one of the hardest times I have ever laughed in my life and for for the longest duration. Now, listen, Chris, I'm gonna just, I'll start the story and she can finish it. <laughs> so we're in the Luxembourg Gardens and uh, this is a rare time that we, well, we didn't even plan that we were gonna stay put for so long, but on every single trip we take, we have we go in with an idea of there's going to be a cocktail that is essentially the theme of the trip and in france it was the Kier royale for for obvious reasons champagne is never a bad idea and if you want to spruce it up with a little raspberry liqueur that's okay and so we order a, a Kier royale because there's a beautiful cafe in the middle of the garden and it's it's massive and beautiful and there are people everywhere doing their thing, walking babies with strollers, couples hand in hand, you name it. We order a Kier Royale, off comes the waiter about 10 minutes later, would you ladies like another? And I mean, we don't has, miss a beat, of course, and he says ladies, <laughs> however he says it in his French accent, I won't even try, but he said, perhaps you should order the bottle. <laughs> and we did, and it wasn't one. <laughs> Holly, you speak French. You probably did the ordering on that trip. That's right. <laughs> I did. Um, well, I mean, you, you guys, I, I appreciate and, and enjoy both of your personas on the air. And Holly, I obviously know from working. Doris, we, I don't know if the last time we were in the same building, but I imagine that this is a great collaboration in, in, in traveling and just in, in general and as, as a friendship because you aren't the same. I Doris, you have a kind of a northeast, can I say edgy? I mean, kind of that that persona, Holly, you're, you're like the den mother to all of college sports. Is, is it a nice mix, but contrast of personalities in this friendship and your conversations and your travels? Doris, what how do you have me saved in your phone? That might explain it. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is perfect. Glinda, do you are you familiar? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> The Good Witch. <laughs> the Good Witch from Wicked. The happy, the always upbeat. Um, you know, it, she's just such a good spirit. I, I've said this before, and um, and you know this, Chris. You know, there, chemistry can't be feigned. A good broadcast team hits the listener's ear easy, um, and you you can't manufacture it. It it exists or it does not. And part of what makes a great team is, yes, you have to have people who know what they're doing and know what's important in the telecast, but you also have to have great teammates. It's about teammate skills. You know, the viewer doesn't know how many people contribute to your Saturday college football telecast. You have the best of the best in positions across the board, camera, tape, um, on-air talent, producer, director, you name it. And every single one of those people has to do their job well. And if one falls short at some point, maybe the viewer doesn't feel it, but you all will step off as telecast and go, mm, maybe we, did, we could have done this or that better. What I've always appreciated about Holly is I think she's one of the best teammates I've ever had in a telecast. It's about what is good for the broadcast. And, and if she expresses frustration, it's from a good place because she wants the viewer to feel as we feel so fortunate to be watching. Um, and so it's so interesting, people's perception of me. I think Holly would tell you, like you said, Edgy, I find that hysterical because I feel like I'm the nicest person in the world. <laughs> Whoa, no, I'm not saying that. Edgy doesn't mean not nice. It just means you're, look, Providence, Northeast. It's just a different, yeah. it's a different place than Utah. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not offended, Chris. I actually, I, it's just so funny, right? And this goes to what Holly said about we come into your living rooms. But you never know how the viewer is feeling you or accepting you or whatever the case may be. And I think all of us, you know, regardless of what anybody says, every announcer wants to be like, yes, you want to be highly competent. And not everybody, you know, not every announcer is for everybody. I know I have my favorites. You probably have your favorites that you enjoy listening to. But 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm, Edgy. She's a Jersey girl. Yeah, Edgy. I understand that. I've, I've been called. Girl. I've been called overly intense, Edgy. I mean, I think you you are misunderstood. That's that you take a a serious approach to your job. You have very high standards for yourself. You want to meet them. If you don't, it bothers you. You want to be surrounded, as you said, by other people who have high standards. And and we're fortunate in our football broadcast, as you are, you know, the creme de la creme in the NBA world. But but yeah, it could be misinterpreted as being like you know one lane or intense or edgy or sometimes there's just but there's there's no, no time for politeness all the time even holly would agree with that <laughs> no she's taught me a lot she's taught me a lot so number one she taught me the f word i never ever <laughs> said the f word in my life never i would cringe I, every time i heard it and then i got to be good friends with doris and um i distinctly remember we went out to visit her and her family we get home to utah and my son starts saying the f word left and right and i'm like you can't we do not say that word in our home, young man. And he's like, well, Mrs. Burke says it. So um, she has taught me there's a good time and an appropriate <laughs> moment to drop that F-bomb. And, and uh, she's also taught me to not let people walk over you. Like sometimes you have to stick up for yourself. And I think that th that's a good skill that she's taught me. We can say f in a podcast, Doris, but I thank you for not dropping. <laughs> well, Holly just reacted right there. You just reacted with horror. We're, we're is, not regulated by the FCC. Here. It is my worst quality. I am profane. I am not proud of it. I've tried many times and many strategies to stop cursing. It is just part of my lexicon. And I will say this. Sometimes, Chris, like, don't you agree? There's no other word but the F word that is appropriate to the moment. So, Yes, and it's appropriate to so many moments. But, uh, but thank you for not making it an F-bomb fest here because I mean, People might get a little horrified. Now, I, I, I want to shift gears. Holly, you, you have inspired so many people in so many ways, but one, you know, confronting cancer, which was melanoma. You did that in, in, in a rather quiet way. And then when cancer came back and tumors were discovered in your lung and you battled through that, I mean, I know that, that you were showered with love and, and, and appreciated what you do for a living in a different way because of the way that your work had touched people and the energy they get back to you. How has that forever sort of changed your perspective coming through the, the horrors and the fears of, uh, of a grave cancer diagnosis? I, you know, it changes you forever. I feel like, um, you know, I was stage four metastatic cancer, which is a deadly diagnosis. And, and I've been very lucky that immunotherapy has saved my life. Um, but it's changed me forever because I live better. I'm more joyful. I am a bucket list and I think Doris can tell you, I'm, I can do some crazy stuff. I'll be like, we're, that's it. We're skinny dipping in Capri. We're going for it. We're going to live life large. Um, I think my give an F, I don't want to say it, but give a, you know, give an F filter is off from cancer because you just learn that live your life. Um, but I do want to take this second because I don't know if I've ever told her this and I will cry if I say it, but uh, when my cancer returned and it had spread and it was looking pretty scary. Doris had said to me, have you contacted the V Foundation? We have resources at the ASP and you need to contact the V Foundation. And she called Carol Stiff, who um, is a woman that worked at our company for a long time. And Carol got me on the phone that day with the executive director, Susan Braun of the V Foundation. And they got me into the top melanoma doctor in the world um, who works at UCLA. Dr. Antoni Rebus, and he has saved my life with a clinical trial in immunotherapy. And so I don't want to overstate this, but Doris, I never would have thought to call the V Foundation. I never would have thought to reach out and have someone help me like that. So, you know, my friend has been there through a lot. We've laughed our asses off. We have laughed and laughed. Our kids love each other. We've had a great relationship, but she has helped save my life. And how do you, how do you say thanks to a friend for that? Because I would have never called. I would have never gotten that help without her. Chris, like you just talked about how beloved Holly is. I don't think what people realize is, you know, how tough she is. You look at Holly, how tall are you? Five, three, five, three. Um, that's one tough package of five foot three inches tall. And what she did for the love of her sports in the midst of it, I mean, she's on chemotherapy and she's told a couple of stories about being in a hotel room. And I'll be honest with you, Chris, I don't know how 
a woman with Holly's travel schedule could maintain the standard she did while she's literally fighting to save her life. You know, you see those video footages of um, Stuart Scott, who we all um, miss, and him in kickboxing or MMA training in the midst of it. And you just marvel at people's toughness and grit and desire to survive. I'm just say, Holly Rowe is one of the toughest people I know. One of the kindest, certainly, but one of the toughest people I know to, to have pulled through that. And she, I mean, stage four is... Stage four is stage four, Chris. Yeah, to be covering sports, I believe it was the day before one surgery, Holly, and then you're covering the WNBA in and around treatment. How how did you do that? You know, I think you and I were talking about this at dinner the other night about what keeps you going in life. And I, I look back on it now and I feel like I was a complete psycho. I felt like getting to games kept me living. And I don't know how to explain that any other way that if I quit and I sat on my couch and felt sorry for myself, I thought I was going to die. And I just had to keep going and, and prove to myself that I could get to that event and I could get it done because that's where my joy was. Like being at the game was where my joy is. And, um, Gosh, I look back on it now. I really don't know how I did it. You know, there were times I could barely walk because my chemotherapy was impacting my feet and my joints. And, you know, I would, I would stagger off the sideline thinking, I can't walk tonight. I can't walk. But I don't know. I don't want to sound like I did something great. There's people going through a lot worse than I did. But I do hope that it, it gives people inspiration. It's like, you just have to keep going. And I don't know how to say it any clearer than that is whatever your piece of joy and whatever you find joy doing, you have to keep finding it or, or it gets really hard in those moments. But every single person that expresses that and lives that the way that you did does give other people strength and hope. So you know, thank you for that gift. We're wrapping up. We're not wrapping up. We're kind of in the mid middle of our college football season, but we're headed toward the home stretch. Doris, you are just launching into the NBA season, which isn't what, eight-month sort of marathon? There's really no other season in sports quite like it. Are, are, are you ready for the – I don't want to call it grind because that makes it seem like it's not fun. But, it, it, you know, there are times when it's – I'm sure it's a test of stamina amidst all the other joys you get for, for a long season that's going to wrap up with you covering the finals. Yeah, I don't know. It's been several years since I've been this excited, and I think it goes to several things. It certainly goes to – you know, we're as close to normal as we can be. We're finally, you know, courtside. We're finally requesting players to sit down with us pregame. And, you know, that's so critical to what we do, the opportunity to speak face-to-face -face and get the perspective of the players and then be able to share that. And, and I do think, you know, from a talent perspective, the league is in incredible hands. Um, you know, LeBron's pursuit of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time scoring mark, which many people thought, you know, was not possible to attain. How does Golden State weather um, the indelible image of, um, you know, him punching Jordan Poole in the face? You know, they're the defending champion. They have this incredible window, but that changes a team. And what does that look like? I'm, I'm on a flight Wednesday night to Golden State. My game's Friday, but I, I need to be at practice and in the facility on Thursday to feel, to feel what's happening there. And so, uh, Hey, I, I can't wait, Chris. I'm, I'm, you know, can't wait. And it doesn't feel, I'll, I will look up and it will be February and the playoffs will be, you know, six weeks away and the enthusiasm will go off the charts again. And uh, so I can't wait. I absolutely cannot wait. And Holly, you work the jazz game. So there's no break for you. We, we, we shut it down college football and you just die right into about three or four more sports. I mean, it's really kind of, <laughs> it feels like it's around the calendar for you almost. Yeah, I'm lucky. I have my first uh, men's college basketball game. We've got the Champs Classic with National Champs Kansas coming up in uh, two weeks, I think, two and a half weeks. And then women's basketball, my, one of my first big women's games is UConn-Notre Dame, which is going to pick this year. That's going to be a really big game. And then NBA. So, I mean, I'm addicted to sports. I just feel like instead of apologizing for it anymore, I'm just going to embrace it. Yes, I'm crazy and I'm a psycho, but I just really love what I'm doing. What Woodfield saying, find, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. It's just not work to me. It's fun. She's still crazy, Chris. <laughs> 
I've heard you say you never work a day in your life. I get that in that we love our jobs, but I don't say that it's not work. It's hard ass work sometimes to, to get into the plane. And I mean, you know, you're studying a subject you love, but you're still working. I'm, I'm going to try to adopt more of that attitude, Holly, but I, I get what you're saying. I don't know how she keeps up with it, Chris. Like I remember giving up the WNBA and women's college basketball and being like, Oh my God, this is awful. I'm not a part of it. One of my funnest periods of all time was Holly, Dave O'Brien and I calling the women's national championship for like 10 years. And it was one of the most special times of my life. But then I, 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 I now have a little bit of work life balance and I can cover just the 30 teams, the NBA. And meanwhile, she's making me feel like a sloucher. <laughs> she makes us all feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> Brutal. I, I want to talk about a word that as you get to a certain age, you begin to think about it a little bit. You don't obsess with it, but that's, but that's legacy. And you guys, by being so excellent for so long, by breaking through barriers, by setting examples, by expanding people's idea, specifically women's idea of what is possible, will leave a legacy. So I'd like to allow yourselves to think about that for a little bit, whether it's this generation, Doris, you mentioned people who are coming up in the business. Maybe they were in college. Maybe they're just starting out. Maybe they are, are younger than that. Maybe they're the daughters of those women. And it's not just women, it's guys too. The inspiration and the legacy for a number of generations to follow, just because you're doing what you love and doing it so well for so long. Can you, can you just reflect on that for a second, Holly, and allow yourself I think Doris will be better than me at this because I think she is very aware of her responsibility as the first. We've had a lot of conversations of, you know, she's the first to be calling NBA games on ESPN as an analyst. And I think there, there is a bearing of responsibility and a weight that comes with that. I hope that my legacy, I don't think about it often, but I do hope my legacy will be um, that you can do it. I am just like the world's most normal you know, maybe nothing special about me, normal girl from Bountiful, Utah, not the prettiest, not the smartest, not the, not the anything us, but worked hard, loved her job and did it at a really high level is that you can do it. I hope that's my legacy to a lot of people. If you love it, you can do it, put the work in and, and maybe also teaching young people how to work. I think that young, the younger generation, and I don't want to use the world entitled, but we're still grinding. I mean, if you still, I think people, Chris, if they saw your work, you said something to me the other day I found fascinating, 50 hours of work that you put in a week for a four-hour football game. Y young people need to know how to work, and that's a legacy in teaching people. You know, you had some young men on our bus that you're trying to teach them how to do play-by-play -play and what your job is. I think that's a legacy that we all owe to the next generation is mentoring and helping. But Doris, you speak to it better because like you bear borne a great responsibility with your your platform no i want to just want to follow up on something you said for you it's been about the work but i think the other thing that you've done is you've had this incredible grit which may be you know according to people in research the most important uh determinant of long-term success because i don't know how many years it took you to get to the number one spot on college football but probably longer than maybe it should have for a variety of different reasons that women face in this business um, but the fact is, you never stopped working through every disappointment, you know, through every time you were not given that number one position on the college football, despite your love and passion and knowledge and all those things. So I would just say, I think grit is part of, of your legacy and it speaks to success in the business. I don't give it some much thought, to be honest with you, I, Chris, I just love basketball. It has shaped my life since I was seven years old. I think about sometimes is because I do know there were many people who paved the way before I came. Robin Roberts, you know, Jackie McMullen sitting on the sideline and next to Red Auerbach and hearing some things over there. So I'm not the first, and I certainly haven't experienced some of the ugliness that women before me did. The only thing I, I would say is, you know, because I am an analyst in those spots, I just I would like to think and hopefully the path of the person who does it after me maybe is a little bit easier because I've done it well enough. You know what I'm saying? That I didn't make the path of somebody behind me harder because that would break my heart. <clears throat> yeah, I think that 
you know, legacy, you get wrapped up in ego if you think about it. So I, I appreciate that neither of you'd really spend much time on that. We we're talking about the present and what it took to get here. I was simply talking about what it might mean in the future to some young girl to say, Holly Road, Doris Burke, you know, I remember them when I was a little girl. They made it seem like things are possible. All things are possible if I do work hard, if I do bring authentic passion to something. So that's what I think is undeniable. You guys are not going to probably acknowledge that. Holly, you were way too modest in your assessment. Your message is powerful, but you're way too modest. But I think there's going to be, uh, I know there's going to be women and, and young young guys too who will look at your example and say, hey, you know what? That was so important to me in an early stage. So I had a cool thing happen Saturday at our game, Chris. I was at Florida State and this young man who was um, delivering the footballs into the game on the sideline for Clemson and Florida State um, asked if he could meet me. And he said, I've been watching you my whole life. And I said, how old are you? And he said, I'm 22. And I thought, you know, this is my 27th year doing college football. Yeah. He literally has watched me on college football his entire life. And I love that that means something to him and he wants to meet me. That, that made me feel really good. I think that that's something that all three of us should be proud of is we have been the voice of the sports that all that this generation has heard their whole life. You know, we've all been in it now 25 plus years, all three of us. And so you think of the legacy of we're the voice they hear on college football. You're the voice they hear on tennis, Chris, Doris. You're in the NBA game. Most of these kids grew up hearing you in the NBA 2K game. Um, that's, an, that's a compliment and an honor that their whole lives, we get to be the narrators to their sports experience. And that's a great obligation, but also great honor. You know, Chris, you mentioned the spaces we're in. They don't blank because we've been there so long. We've worn their ass out, so to speak, Chris. Like, they just accept that we're part of their sports experience. And I will say for both genders, that's really, really cool. Well, you guys, as I said, I've used the word overused, probably the word inspires for so many so many different ways. But this, this friendship, this conversation you've had, the stories, the laughs, the tears, thank you so much for sharing that as well because I, I think it's inspiring to see people who, who love each other and care for each other so much and share so much in common and even though they're, you're different people. So thank you for that gift today, guys. And, and it's, been a, it's been a pleasure and honor and, and uh, I can't thank you enough. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having us. Thanks awesome. for effing having us. <laughs> Holly and Doris, you're effing welcome. That was so much fun for me. I'm just grateful we could align their very busy schedules. And isn't it important to have supportive, enduring friendships where you can just talk about personal and professional challenges and just laugh like Holly and Doris do? Thanks, as always, to Jennifer Dempster, my co-executive producer, and the team at Octagon who edit our episodes. I'll talk to you soon with another Season 5 episode of Fowler Who You Got.